welcome to our Called Connected Committed podcast and this week I am delighted to be joined by two of our great friends, one of our team members and one of our team uh, uh, guests from all the way over on the other side of the pond in the US. So Eric Ellison is the Director of Networks and Improvement for Baylor University and is involved in our international leadership networks that we've been running and Alicia Lewis is our program lead for the MPQSL and Alicia has been working on content around culture and what makes the kind of school cultures that we want to see. So Alicia and Erica are going to join a conversation now all about what makes the kind of cultures we want to see in our schools. Thank you so much. Alicia, so I'm just going to jump right in because that's what I love doing. And I love being with you. And Emily, thank you for having me. But I want to jump into that, that question on culture really quickly on the idea that um, culture is so much founded on trust. How as a leader do you step into a place that maybe has been trust broken and build trust and rebuild that nature of trust to build that culture that that really will allow the place to be successful? That's a huge question. I think probably a really good one to start off with, especially thinking of the current climate we've had probably in the last you know nearly two years with COVID and actually how trust has had to be built on so many levels now because it isn't just trust with how people are working with each other it's also the trust people put upon leaders to keep them safe you know beyond just the everyday safety of the building and safeguarding issues but actually it's keeping you safe in a situation where there is something that could actually kill you and so what schools are doing to build that trust as well and it isn't easy to go into a place where trust has been um, really taken away and people need a lot of structure to bring that trust back and also people, people need really safe spaces to feel like they can trust because I think one of the biggest elements of that is encouraging people to take risks I think sometimes people can go in as new leaders and they feel like they need to take control of everything but in that it dissolves that trust between people because they don't have that element of autonomy or being able to make their own decisions, especially within their own classroom. They know those children better than maybe the leader does. So it's about how as a lead, as leaders, we think about some really small things that actually make a really big difference when building trust and recognizing that we can't take everything on. And the more we empower others in their job roles, that actually creates a better environment for trust because you're allowing them to actually do the role that they're there to do. So, so kind of an iteration question off of that, because it's really interesting. You mentioned kind of our current kind of situation, current life. And I know in England, it's similar to here in the United States where trust in institutions in particular is really low. And for us as schools, you know, I can imagine as Church of England schools and just even that, how do we as leaders bridge that gap of like our personal trust and the personal relationship and then building the trust back into the institution, in this case, back into the school so that there is, you know, that relationship between, you know, faculty and, and staff, between students and, and adults, between parents, community and the school as a whole. How, how do you do that or what, what gives you some thought as you think through that? I think something that always comes alongside trust is collaboration. You can't have one without the other. And I think right now we're in a position where 
people need to actually talk to each other more to really ascertain where people are because we've got families who have had people die people in hospital people they're really they're shielding they're really concerned about we've got that with their worry for their children every day we've got that worry from all those different places and actually the more that we can listen to those concerns and listen to the worries we can actually collaborate to work together to get on the same page i think we're in a situation now where people have seen um people and institutions at the top making all the decisions but they're not always the decisions that actually work in practice for the most people and so the more that we can collaborate and work with each other and even between schools you know throughout all this time each school has become an island a literally a locked down island hasn't it because of how it's had to function but the only way through that thinking about you know people talk about recovery and the curriculum the only way we're going to get through that is if we collaborate because we've all got the same issues in essence and the more that we can work together to build that collaboration again will help to bring our school communities as well as our family and the children together again to move forward to build that culture that we know everything has to focus upon because if that isn't right that needs to change so, so one of the things that I find it interesting, and you mentioned the collaboration, but then you also mentioned it collaboration between school leaders and across like communities and across countries and systems. What are you discovering as you kind of think about a new culture, even in education, our profession and schools, as you watch and as you get to work with leaders working across systems? I think for all of the bad things that have come out of COVID and all of the things that we're still trying to work against, there are real gems of brilliance that are coming from it. I will take this conversation that we are having right now as an example. You know, the, the opportunities that have come through our new Zoom life to, to collaborate and to learn from each other, not just within a local setting as it would have been historically, but now we can go nationally, we can go internationally. And I think that is something that is going to really shape our education system going forward, because through the difference, we also find the similarity. And it's been really interesting you know, working with the US colleagues within the diversity network, talking about the same issues, but how we're dealing with them in different ways, but also in such similar way. And I think that is something that is going to empower our culture to actually realize and make people less inward because when you're within school it can be really easy to be in this bubble of your school but the reality is is we're all here for all of our children whether that is in my school or your school or the school in another place we're all here for children and adults to flourish so whatever we can do to build that I think again will help with people's well-being it will help with people's professional development it will help with just feeling connected to something bigger than what you can find just in your own school so incredible because because I think it is sometimes so much of like when leaders get isolated that then I think, you know, something that you and I've talked about or just even briefly before this call is, is the idea of leaders and leader strength and power and crafting and creating culture. I think, um, you know, they're, they're, you use some terminology of the culture breaker versus the culture builder. And so much of our leadership paradigm now is someone coming in and breaking something and building it to their will. 
how do we how do we think about being a culture builder in the sense that we are stewarding and we are a servant, but yet we are making something new? Yeah, I remember sitting on a course once. It was a church school leadership course. And we were told about how uh, leaders like culture builders and breakers are either architects or they're builders. They're the ones who come in and put plasters on things because they're quick fixes. But the reality is we know even the best type of plaster will start to peel off after a while. Whereas actually as a leader, you've got to be the architect who sees beyond, who sees the vision, who sees that actually things will take time, but you get brilliance in the end. And it, it's really difficult, I think, as a leader to actually acknowledge if you're in an environment that, where the culture needs breaking and the culture needs changing. And if it's dysfunctional, actually calling that out, I think it's probably one of the hardest things as a leader to do. And it's also really hard to then say, well, how are, what are we going to do to really build this up? But you've got to have a real clear understanding of your school to do that properly because again it can't just be one person's view you've got to get how all the different stakeholders perceive that culture to be before you really understand it because I I know there are schools out there where the head teacher will tell you this is what my school is like and if you go and ask any member of staff they will say it's not like that at all and actually what you've got to do the best leaders will actually understand exactly what is happening. And if something is happening that's not right, they will work with those people to make it better. But actually identifying what you can do to really build and recognizing that sometimes everything is not a quick fix. We're so busy on a conveyor belt in education to get things done, get things done, get things done. And actually culture shaping takes a long time because you've got to have a really clear vision and a really clear goal, but that vision will always move. Vision shouldn't be something you ever achieve, should it? Because actually it constantly moves and shapes as the children shape, as the community shapes. You've got to keep moving that vision on, haven't you? And actually being, being aware of that as a concept is quite hard as a leader, because you kind of think, I'll go to my interview, I'll say what my vision for the school is, and then I'll get there. But actually to get there really well takes a long, long time. So let, let, let me pull at this thread a little bit, because in the United States, and I, I, I don't know what it's like in England, but United States school leaders don't last very long. The expectations are short term, the expectations for quick fixes, the expectations for, um, you know, automatic success is really high. And so the turnover rate or the churn rate in leadership is really, really low. It's the average is about three years in school leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and when you talk about long-term and that vision being something that you iterate and improve on all the time, I have a friend who calls it the long obedience. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do we take that, that, that picture and that vision for the long-term and stick at it without getting tired, without getting worn out, without giving up, without quitting on, you know, that consistent iteration process that we might not actually ever get to fulfillment, but we actually continue to grow together. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, because I think, I, I don't know if I'm just generalizing, but I think from, from the people that I know and the schools that I've worked with over the years, you kind of have either the head teachers who have got a very clear plan of 
I'm going to do two years or three years or and then you've got some head teachers who have been in the school for 25 years as the head teacher <laughs> it's almost like one one to the other but for both of those they have the same challenge that they can never sit on the laurels because actually you might have been in that school for 25 years and know it so much but you've still got to move that school on haven't you from wherever you are um, and then the other side of the coin are those head teachers who start and really want to do the best, but for somewhere along the way, they become exhausted and they move on. And generally it's because they haven't found other people to champion alongside them. And that's what you have to do, don't you? You have to find your champions within an organization to say, well, actually who, who is on the page with me to strive for X, Y, and Z? And how am I going to empower those people within their roles to take that forward and how am I going to bring everyone else with me and quite often I think it becomes exhausting if you're constantly battling against an opposite of where you want the school to go and sometimes it can be you know being a head teacher or an executive leader is a lot of power isn't it and sometimes people want to go in to mold it to their will or shape it but actually, they might have something there that's already got such potential, but they need to recognise that potential as well, don't they? They can't just go in and write it off because they don't know, they haven't had that time to sit and really look what's there. Um, but it can be exhausting. But as I said, the vision has to constantly move. And I think that's what empowers you to stay with the school, because actually you might go in and you have one vision. And then as things happen, you think, well, actually, it's changing. Because for whatever reason, like COVID, we have to change what our focus is. We have to change on what we're building. And then in three years time or a year's time, it might change again. But as long as you've got everybody there alongside championing it with you and understanding why that's there. I think quite often leaders put that thing out there, but no one understands the why. And that why is so important to get that consensus because if you're not working to the same why you're only ever going to be working in different places okay i want to ask one last question because okay. we've been doing this network you know you and i have been a part of this for the last year but then now also the new network this year that we get to foster and create and one of the things that i think we've talked about recently but we we spent time on is the ideas of fairness equity you know in building those tr cultures of trust um, use a word champion. And oftentimes, you know, leaders are looking for that champion of the vision, the strategy and of themselves, like, hey, come with me, be my champion, do this work with me. How do we leaders cre create a culture where we're championing each other too? I mean, especially with that idea that there are voices in our profession, in our schools, whether they be students, whether they be, you know, just, just underrepresented people traditionally, how do we get behind them even and champion their opportunities, their growth, their voice, and then ultimately their deep belonging in, a, in, in these cultures of trust? I think it's really important that, as I said before, opening those avenues for real discussion and open conversation and actually identifying everyone's gifts and talents and nurturing that potential and sometimes people just need someone to believe in them that's the only bit that's missing you know you've got people out there who have real bad imposter syndrome you've got people in there who've been put into jobs that 
wasn't their job and suddenly it's now become their job because someone has left or someone's unwell and you've got to really really empower and encourage other people but also once you put them there still be there for them it's not a case of I found this course for you off you go and do it like you've, you've got to check in with them you've got to talk about them you've got to be interested in them but you've got to be really aware of everyone's gifts and talents and really recognize that and how you can use that to the school's advantage, to the children's advantage, but also for that person, for them to know that you recognize and you see them, that you just see who they are and that you really value that. That helps so much with that belonging. And really we've got so many different groups of people who are really underrepresented within our school leadership, but it's our job to see those people and to say, what can I do to help you? Because if we foster, if we're saying to our children every day in schools, how much we really value learning and we want you to be lifelong learners and we want you to be curious and we want you to be brave. And then we don't model that in our behavior as adults. It will only go so far. So we need to really model and encourage that with every person in the school, whether they are the teaching support assistant or the head teacher, everybody in a school can still strive to be what they want to be and can still carry on in that whole process of learning and everyone can be better. And we constantly have to be better, don't we? Because if we want the best for our children, then we have to want the best for ourselves and for those that we work with. So it's really, it's us also being the champions for others because some people don't have that voice or some people don't see it in themselves because they haven't got that role model. That's what we need to be for those people as well. All right. One last thing. Cause I always love giving like one tangible tip. Anytime I do my own podcasts or, or any of these things, because you've given, there's so much there and there's so much, but what's one thing, like if I'm, if I'm a school leader right now, what's one tangible tip that, you know, this week or next week, you know what, do this because it makes a big difference. There is an amazing quote, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think it's remembering that everything you do will never be done well if the culture is wrong. So until you can fix the culture or until you can recognize what a great culture that you have, you can only go so far. So all the plans and all the action plans and everything you write, if it's not living and breathing in your school, then you haven't got the culture that you want. Alicia, thank you for including me in this conversation. This is wonderful. Thank you very much for being the other half of the conversation. <laughs>